regardless of where you stand on the matter of data science sexiness, it's simply impossible to ignore the continuing importance of data as well as our ability to analyze, organize, and contextualize them. Data are changing how our businesses and societies function. They are being used to solve a ton of interesting problems and shaping the questions we can ask of the world around us. Hi, I'm James Lee, and this is Datacast. Join me for raw conversations with practitioners from the worlds of AI, machine learning, statistics, and data science. Hi listeners, this is Datacast, where I hold long-form conversation with data practitioners and researchers to unpack the narrative journeys of their career. My guest today is Sashruti Swaminathan. Um, a technical lead and data scientist in the IBM Center for Open Source Data and AI Technologies team, whose main focus is to democratize data and AI through open source technologies. She has a master in electrical engineering that specializes in data science, as well as a bachelor degree in electronics and instrumentation. Her passion is to dive deep into the ocean of data, extract insights, and use AI for social good. Previously, she was working as a software developer on a mission to spread the knowledge and uh, experience acquired in her learning process. She also leads an initiatives to bring education to rural children and organize meetups that focus on uh, women empowerment. So yeah, uh, Sashruti, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Thanks a lot for having me here, James. Perfect. So I want to start our conversation by discussing a little bit about your personal background. So while doing the homework for our conversation, I found out that you grew up in a rural town in India with no internet connection and no computers. So can you share a bit about your upbringing? For sure. I was born in a rural town in south of India. My dad worked in Indian postal service and my mom used to manage the house and manage all of us. So we were three living in a 400 square feet house and till my high school, I had literally no internet connectivity at home. I used to be in libraries and going around the streets to study books and newspapers, right? So that's how my childhood has been. An interesting aspect of this is like the experience with less technology and more nature actually groomed me as a person whom we are seeing today. So my parents actually gave me the freedom to be a person who I wish to be. I was never, you know, compared with others. I was never in a circle, you know, so I did not experience the pressure at home. So they made sure I only hear things that actually elevate my thoughts and make me a better person. Right. So I was told that I'm the only competition and I, I live by lifting others. Right. So I rise by lifting others. So that's how, you know, my background has been and though the society was constantly you know trying to put me inside a circle or inside you know the regular stuff that they expect you to do I was told to be fearless in pursuit of my dream I used to pay like 30 rupees like Indian rupee for 50 minutes of internet connection honestly Mm -hmm. so I used to go there just to get a feel of you know how the computer is you know, we used to have this big, you know, the computers, like the big screens and heavy computers, like desktop computers out there. And I used to pay like 30 rupees for just 15 minutes, right? I used to go and browse something and then I come back. That, that happened in my high school, actually, till high school. I didn't have, I don't have phone, I don't have internet. It was all like books, magazines and 
you know newspapers and so on that's how my life has been and it actually helped me right because i didn't have touch with the tech, you know technology didn't eat my mind right so i feel it's like 50 50 it's good it's not good so it actually i kind of made it positive that's how i say so i took a lot of experience i was with nature all the time i was with you know books all the time and kind of refreshed my mind so when i actually moved to the city after my high school i was able to mold myself as a better person yeah thanks for sharing those and like is i think like we need more touch with the present technology is immersing in, into our daily life and yeah i mean it's also pretty amazing how you fall in love with that process of learning and then just kind of learning on your own you know right willing to pay to just like be in touch with, with the computers and that sounds like your parents does play a very excellent role model in your life by allowing you to pursue your own passion and, and interest which i think like i don't know much in society in india but it sounds like that's something that is you know radical and different from the rest of uh, other families right Oh, yeah absolutely so we have been told to be in a certain way right like okay so this is you have like a timeline if you are a girl you have timeline set and predefined roles set right it takes a lot of guts to be out and actually say what you actually want mm-hmm. so i think my as you correctly mentioned my parents played a great role they gave me the freedom but, but had a shell around me so that i didn't experience the social pressure So you mentioned you go to city for college. I um, saw that you study electrical engineering at Sri Ram Engineering College for your undergrad in the early 2010s. So how was your overall undergrad experience there? That's a great question as well because this is another interesting phase of my life. I moved to city for my undergrad and you know that was the first time I was in city till that I was you know in village and town just going around playing like a simple normal life. and when i actually moved to city things were flashy and they were moving fast right when you actually move to the interior parts things are a bit laid back like you feel the relaxed life but when you actually get into the fast paced world it just goes like that and one other interesting part is i was not the super eloquent speaker right yes i did study in english medium but we, we don't speak a lot right like how city people does so it was a total change for me I feel like too much exposure in your young age might add pressure as well, right? Again, it's fifty-fifty. Depends on how you take. So there is no statement that I'm making here. But the exposure that you get, you have to pick and choose. So there is a lot when you actually get into the city, the top cities, right? So yeah, since I lived with nature for about like I guess eighteen years of my age, I always saw things in a different way. right so i kept asking to people who who are i meet like why 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 are you doing this why are you doing this or why it is different you know that actually kept going people saw me as a different person and not like a typical okay do your high school write this exam get into a great college and then do this right i didn't study in any of the great universities or college it just the experience you get in your life it's really important more than the book or you know the top names that you can think of right so i took electronics and instrumentation engineering with an assumption that i love machines right more than programming so that's what my assumption though i silently enjoy looking at people coding there i used to you know get into the software engineering department and then see people like just coding hard and i used to enjoy silently but i always had this fear that programming is not for me right so i kept myself out and i was hesitant to touch computers 
So I like to see, but I was hesitant. That's the point I was trying to make. You know, I worked day and night to understand admissions and stuff, but something was telling me like, you know, no, this is not for you. So I wasn't enjoying, right? I, I like, but I didn't enjoy the missions part of it. But I had a great experience in my undergrad. I kind of grew myself from a person, you know, who, who was with, you know, the less uh, technology world. to getting exposed to everything i got my first computer you know laptop when i was doing my third year of undergrad so it was the first time i had something for myself till then again i used to go around and get dongles and ask people okay can i use it for 30 minutes so that i can give it to you that's how i have been like even the report projects everything so yeah so undergrad to me kind of shaped me like as a different person gave me the freedom to be the front leader when you go to the city you have this feel of people have their own brackets right like okay this is how they will be and this is everyone will move towards a certain goal and i was here doing what i want right so uh, people saw me in a different way and i didn't give up that i don't want to change i want to show people that i am i can achieve by being myself right so that kind of a strength i got when i moved to city thanks for sharing that you mentioned that's pretty cool like you got your first computers into junior year right like what was that feeling like how does it feel to own, own a computer i used to just hold it tight <laughs> to me and see okay finally i got you know something that i have been silently enjoying that was my thought but then i, I didn't program right i i used to use my computers for just doing studies and then writing reports for my you know missions and electronics related stuff but i didn't actually code at that time but i really like enjoyed uh, i kind of you know try to figure out i used to open my computer sometimes and then see what is inside and learn what is inside so i was this curious kid uh, when i was doing my undergrad go taking my computers going around and asking people what is this what is this why it is like that and so on yeah for sure you just study like engineering instrumentation right is there any particular classes uh, that you really enjoy yeah so we have this classes related to you know missions right uh, you learn the you know structure of it you you learn how they work right i used to enjoy labs right i'm more of a practical person i cannot like sit and just listen to classes i want to actually see and you know get a feel of it right so i'll be in my labs most of the time i'll be with my microcontrollers you know microprocessors just doing like though it was coding it was a different set of coding so you know i kind of enjoy that uh, i used to be in machines trying to see if i change this uh, you know voltage value or the current value how my machine changes right there were times where you know i just did some random stuff and things just went out of hands and my professor just ran to me and i was like okay don't you know yes you have the liberty to test but then make sure you do it in a right way so you know i enjoyed labs especially the mission labs more where you have this huge the motors and generators out there and you learn every single aspect of it and also i enjoyed the mechanical engineering lab to be honest where uh, and also civil engineering lab where you learn how to build the structure and you play with all the materials that you need to build you know that that you need for construction basically so those are like different experiences i got like civil i got some experience civil engineering mechanical and machines as well it sounds like you really enjoyed some mm-hmm. hands on exercises for uh, the studies and so yeah after college you spent 2 years working at tara consultancy services as an instrumentation engineer yeah so what were some of the projects that you contributed to and some of the critical learnings you obtained during this period 
this is like my life changing experience by some magic i know uh, i don't know like how i landed in as a system engineering a system in a tata consultancy services i just organically cleared the interview right though i, I had the fear of programming i was able to do it right still i had the doubt but i was able to clear it i just went and gave i did like bit of programming courses when i was doing my undergrad just out of my university i just went added myself to a computer course you know computer class and then started learning a c c++ courses and i was able to clear the interview that was like but shocker for me even though i had the fear in my mind yes i landed in a system engineering job i was in a merger and acquisition banking project which was mainframe based and it's a core programming project right i was learning c c++ but i was put in a cobol rex jcl programming project so first day i still remember i got a spec and i got 10000 lines of cobol code rex code and i was asked to debug it was 10000 lines production code so my hands were literally like trembling i was like okay how 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 am i going to touch this right i didn't understand even the start and end of it it was like 10000 lines i am seeing seeing it for the first time so as you can see you know then how did it change right uh, next day i was sitting next to my lead i would define this as a life changing moment every time i speak with someone else i always say this story so my, i was sitting next to my lead and he was just typing this fast tak 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 the keyboard sound and i actually wanted to get the same sound i was so addicted to it and i want to get the same sound even now even today when i type i love the sound of the keyboard right so uh, i want to get the same sound so i started you know enjoying it so that's the moment you know that turned my fear to something that i enjoy right i just went and he, he was so kind enough to you know let me experiment with what i want with what i like even though that was my first time you know ever touching like 10000 lines of production code he let me gave me the freedom to experiment with, right all i want is i want to get the same sound right so <laughs> i started typing i started learning uh, because only when you are comfortable with the language you'll be able to you know do that fast you can't be you know else you will be like typing something and you will think right i want to get that kind of fluency in the cobol rex and jcl programming languages right so i just went like a blast uh, i i was there for two years uh, at the end of two years I, w- i was awarded as the top programmer in my unit and i handled 10 high priority code base each of which is over 15000 lines of code of cobol jcl rex so consistently i was the top performer for the entire like two years of my tata consultancy services as a system engineer and this is the place i actually shredded you know all my fear out for programming and you know i identified okay this is my passion right? this is what i enjoy so i would say this is like a shift from machines to a programming phase yeah well thanks for like really showing the the concrete details i think those yeah it seems like this is a powerful moment that you know transformed your fear into something that you enjoy and yeah like by going heads on and and turning that into something that you actually passionate about you will be able to surpass that fear and, and you know really cultivate passion for it and achieve some very concrete professional results over here after spending about two years working as a system engineer at Tata Consultancy Services and i believe that in uh, summer 2016 you moved to the us to 
uh, pursue um, a master's degree in electrical engineering at San Jose State University. So how was your overall graduate school experience? And you know, what are some of your favorite classes and research activities at San Jose State? For sure. Happy to answer that because, again, this is a big change. I was a bit, you know, settled down in my job. I was doing extremely well. I was about to get my promotion. But whenever I feel my life is getting monotonous, I tend to change the gear, right? So I was doing extremely well. I was about to get my second promotion. And that's when I quit my job. So I got up in the services and moved to US for my master's. So people were just shocked looking at my decision because I was about to get an unsaid job. I was about to get promoted as a senior programmer and so on. But I just quit my job and then moved to US for my master's at the peak of my career, I would say. So I took electrical engineering again. So you must be wondering, right, why I took electrical engineering. Yes, I started enjoying programming. I came out of the fear, but I took electrical engineering. This time, what I crossed is not fear, it's my self-doubt. So at every phase of my life, I crossed something that I wasn't able to do it before. I had the fear, I had the self-doubt. So this time, the self-doubt of, okay, will I be able to go there, go out of the country and sustain in Silicon Valley, right? I did my master's in San Jose State University. People are extremely good at coding here and programming, right? So you have the top coders here. Will I be able to, you know, sustain there? So that's a self-doubt this time. So I took, uh, again, like electrical engineering. I went into the networking specialization. So this time it was, you know, like first few courses in networking I enjoyed, but then I wasn't able to, Uh, get attached to the concept it was too abstract for me right for the person i am for the person who enjoys all the practical aspects i felt it was so abstract to me and that's the moment i felt i need to find what i actually like right i started searching because when i moved out of my family i got the space of thinking for myself right so you don't usually have anyone around you it's just you so your mind tends to think a lot you will be all alone the entire year or the entire two years and you actually start thinking what i want in life right i was moving pretty fast when i was with my family when i was in india now all this you know the thoughts started coming to me and then i said okay let me take a pause i don't know what i'm doing so let me take a pause and then think what sashwati actually want right so So the turning point actually happened when I encountered data science during my internship. So I got an internship in a IoT startup. Uh, I went to I moved to Seattle. So I I was there for three months, and that's the time I got exposed to data science. Mm-hmm. You know, the feel I got when I first you know gave. I was given the project in data science. It's interesting. I was put into the team where, you know, the core is data science, right? AI, ML, DL, and all the methodologies you can think of. So, oh my God, I was thinking, oh my God, I was able to communicate with data, right? Whatever I want to ask, whatever questions I have, I was able to make my data speak right. It's no more abstract for me. there is nothing like okay there is a networking package and packets going on you see them on a software but you don't actually get a feel you know it's all running everywhere that that was my impression that was my the feel when i was uh, doing my networking specialization when i actually entered into data science i just enjoyed you know i used to just sit with my computers even now when i talk about it i get so overwhelmed because i just love that 
right i was able to make data speak right i was able to make data speak to me and i understand the language right so you know my programming my passion my love for innovation actually came to one place in data science you can innovate you have the passion you the programming you can actually interact with your data right so everything actually came together and i felt okay now i found what i actually want and this is how this is the path i'm going to take going forward so i was fortunate enough to take classes like data mining statistical machine learning neural networks and probability all major courses under like one of the finest professors of san jose state university you you know i used to spend hours and hours with my professors even on weekends i used to be with them all the time asking question learning things because i enjoyed right i started enjoying it i started i loved it so i was put in you know, a lot of research projects uh, one with a smart city project using ai and i learned data annotation process for building uh, deep learning systems and i was the part of you know core member of san jose city advanced mass warning capability project and research project focusing on uh, predicting fracture strength of the porous material and there's so many research opportunities they actually got i was fortunate enough because my professors were so great to add me to their research projects and i volunteered with a lot of other small projects with my professors and it just like in one and a half years the amount of experience i got it just like overwhelms me when i just look now when i look back now i i didn't know how i did all this i used to sleep like two to three hours a day that's it because i enjoyed so i didn't feel tired at all <laughs> so i kept going in one and a half years the amount of learning that i had in data science just like went exponential i would say every single day i think like this is also really enjoy stumbling into data science and and mr sorry into those i mean just sounds like from other classes and you know research activities that you involve it and then relationship with your professors allow you to sustain that knowledge and keep exploring that rabbit hole even further right just out of curiosity like the previous year working industry you know this two year in the state starting what what is the biggest differences just like going back to school and and also like get even moving from india to the us like what are some of the initial hurdles that you know you um first of all to transition uh, back to studying and second of all to like even assimilating with a new culture that's a great question because when i moved to us i literally had zero understanding of how you know the country functions how the culture is how people will interact and what i need to do i had like literally zero understanding to be honest uh, all i wanted is i want to explore the world right that's why i i just packed my bag one day and then i made decision in like two months did everything wrote all my exams cleared everything and then packed my bag and came here uh the first day i landed i quite didn't understand what was happening around me honestly i just went with the flow usually people try to explore different places but i kind of settled down in my room okay let me take a pause let me think where i am how how this entire you know this community functions just took a pause for a bit and then i went to my first day of school it was so joyful experience you know i just went out i was literally dancing in the middle of my university trying to say okay i'm finally able to explore i used to go to every single person out there and you know have conversation with them trying to understand their approach of you know staying here trying to understand uh, their approach of doing uh, you know pursuing their graduation it be it a master undergrad student even arts and science i didn't mind you know i i didn't have any barrier at all so i just i used to go around 
if people uh, see me and they acknowledge i i used to just wave like a hi to them and if they acknowledge me back i used to have conversation trying to understand how they you know adapted themselves to the environment right that was my first one week and next week i actually went into my class and there is this part right you are alone here so you wanted to be inside a group to make yourself feel safe right so what happens was that i have seen like people who create the small group within themselves and they try to be in their comfort zone right so you tend to not explore who you are you tend to not explore things that are out of your group comfort right you tend to stay within the group so uh, i had my uh, very good uh, friend here i went to meet him and he said like build your own empire don't try to be under you know someone else empire and try to lose your identity right build your identity and this place gives you the freedom to build that right you can be yourself you have time to think about yourself so that's when i decide i wasn't a part of any group i used to you know have conversation with everyone anyone try to help them as much as i can but this really helped me come out of the culture shock which we usually you know see i don't want to change myself but i want to be myself but be with the community and honestly the acceptance i got is just so overwhelming i have never seen anyone here who pointed out at my slang or even made fun of me or made fun of my approach because i used to be inside i used to study right i'm not this person who kind of goes out and just be you know all around but people accepted me uh, who i am and i'm really like grateful for everyone i met here i think like most of the students come here to reinvent their identity at some point um, I, i think you know the approach that you mentioned about short run show socialize with a variety of groups uh, a very smart way to make that process less burdensome so you mentioned a little bit about getting involved with a variety of activities at San Jose State and during during research work conversation I believe you also work with San Jose City on a project related to disaster management so would you mind going over this engagement we conducted a comprehensive analysis of mass warning system in major cities around the world and actually delivered a study and recommendation to city of San Jose to the core of what we did we also identified new technology that can be used to reduce the time it takes from the prediction or the detection of an emergency to sending alerts to the affected population right so that was our core concept so that's the core research that we did we were a team of three professors and two others including me so personally i have reviewed over like 200 research papers about mass warning systems around the world and then i delivered a report of that and also you know presented the findings and also developed recommendation that city can incorporate in their mass warning system using artificial intelligence so the first thing is presenting the findings about the papers i reviewed related to mass warning system around the world and the second is providing the recommendation to the city for using artificial intelligence in the mass warning systems so it was like one lifetime experience because i used to have regular interaction with the city people learned a lot about how it functions right how it how they do it what are the real time difficulties we can recommend too many things right as a data science practitioner we have so many ideas but when you actually get into the field 
we get to know the limitations you get to know what can be used what cannot be used what are the rules and regulations that you need to follow it has to be responsible it has to be ethical and stuff when you get the data right so those field experience was something that i cherish for a lifetime absolutely i think that experience really allows you to understand how data science work in the real world rather than just a mm-hmm. abstract academic concept right After finishing your master at San Jose State in 2018, you accept a role working as a data scientist at IBM. First of all, how did this opportunity come about, and also like what were some of the projects that you were involved initially with at IBM? Let me start with my job search part. Right, I was doing my graduation. I had like a lot of projects. I didn't just do my school projects. I did research projects as well as I was a part of Kaggle competition to conduct a bit driven data. In one of the competition, I was in top 10% of the submission I have received. I didn't quite stop with my school projects. I want to go beyond. So I did a lot of self projects and all the Kaggle and driven data competitions. And the other interesting aspect is I want to be in the community, right? I used to apply like 100 i used to send 100 job applications a day and i used to keep waiting so i again wanted to be different here so i started writing blogs every time i learn something i used to write about it writing is not just you know where you speak or do all the flashy things or where you speak you know something abstract or so which people cannot connect i don't want to do that whatever i learn i want to talk about it right so i used to post hand written notes in my blogs i didn't use any tool the notes that i write right i used to take a picture i post and i used to write about it right so people like the authenticity of it people were so grateful to see okay this is not something you know flashy or some different tool but it's a plain handwritten notes and people started enjoying it right i i kept writing so that's how i got a call so one of the recruiters you know saw that and i got a call from ibm So I had like six rounds of interviews with programming, data science, community work, and a bunch, right? The thing that we usually go through. So yeah, I got an offer there. At the end, on the day of my graduation, is when I got my offer. So yes. yeah, so that's something I I will always like in, cherish about. I wanted to have an offer at the end, on the day of my graduation, and it did happen. So yeah, uh, I joined there. It's been like two years and eleven months. now i have been with ibm open source team it is phenomenal i got an opportunity to work with lot of amazing projects because i am from open source team the kind of work that i got was just phenomenal right i was able to be a part of the community i was able to contribute to the project i was able to contribute to the open source community create packages create open source softwares but also contribute back to the you know product right i was one of the contributors and maintainers of you know projects like model asset exchange data asset exchange led uh, open source and product integrations initiative with an ibm and i was a part core team of ai model fact sheets and i co-created ai finance 360 packages contributed to tensorflow what's an offering worked with a lot of data science engagements and finally last but not least i guess this is my 53rd talk in the past 2 years I was never a person who used to go before audience, hold a mic and speak. I got an opportunity here. I think last week I have completed my 50th talk, and I'm targeting to complete at least like 70 this year. So it's been a phenomenal journey. I was able to touch every single aspect of it. That's super cool. Well, there's a couple of things I want to touch on. 
Uh, we will talk a little bit about some of the projects that you're currently working at IBM Center for Open Source Data and Technologies in a couple of later questions. But uh, well, first of all, I want to say, like, you know, definitely resonate a lot with the fact that you like sharing your notes from Classroom and, and write a blog project. That's what I used to do you know, in the past two years as well, which is a very, very good way to deepen my understanding of the subject as well as sharing my knowledge to the public as well. So definitely resonate a lot with that. When we talk about like public speaking, right? I think that is something that, like it's another skill set we might not think of right away for technical practitioners that did scientists. After doing so many talks in the past years or so, what are some of the lessons you learned? With the other way, friend questioning, what advice you could give for someone who wants to become a better public speaker? The mantra that I have is your language or the fluency, it really doesn't matter. People will actually understand you if you're authentic. For every single talk till now, I have never reused my content. I used to sit, create one specific for the audience. And whenever I go to them, I present them, you know, in a way that they can grasp and provide them a lot of reference material because I feel privileged that I was able to get, if even if it's one person attending my talk, I used to give it completely. It doesn't matter to me, right? I'm here to present and I do my work. So that was the thing. And I want to be authentic. I want to be serious about it. So I kind of, you know, interact with my, you know, audience or listeners a lot, trying to understand what they actually want, even before the workshop, conference talk, whatever it is, I used to post as organizer, connect with the audience, get with, you know, what they actually want. And I used to go and deliver them, right? Because of which, you know, I started with literally like 10 audience and recently I had over 8.5k you know I, I recently like delivered ethical air talk before like 8k people out there so it's like be authentic be yourself know your audience prepare accordingly because it's a privilege right to go before stand before them they are giving their time just the most precious thing in the world i believe so they're giving their time and it's our responsibility as a speaker to give like a good use of their time and do it in a simple way, right? I would like to break down the topics to a simpler level. I don't really like, you know, talk on high level. I used to connect every high level topic or the concept that are like extremely like high level to understand into the day-to-day activity, right? So I used to give examples connecting with our everyday work. So people will feel, okay, this is easy, right? This is not something abstract. Those are the things that I follow when I go for public speaking or anyone who wants to enter into the space. And learn to get the criticism, learn to accept it. I have been in a position, like people just point at me and then people used to stop me uh, right in the middle, you know, just tell whatever they feel like. And sometimes even below my, uh, even post or, you know, whatever it is, people used to, you know, be like this critic. Sometimes it's hard, please don't do it. So sometimes there'll be some constructive criticism. So be open to listen and stop when it goes <laughs> over. Yeah. A bit about IBM in general. So besides the Center for Open Source and Data Technologies that you're being a part of, can you give data science and AI initiatives at IBM overall other function within the bigger organization? Well, what is IBM approach to data science in general? Like Because, you know, we didn't well, at least for me, I mean, we hear more press from other big companies, but not a lot about IBM, so I'm just curious to hear their approach to AI for digital transformation. To be honest, because the organization is huge, there are a lot of, you know, teams, there are a lot of, you know, parts of the organization. 
which actually you know does data and ai stuff there's a specific group who focus on ethical ai aspect of it so there's a specific group who does the devops part of it so it's huge right so we all go to one mission is to deliver not just the high performance model but it should be fair reliable it's explainable transparent and robust right so there are a lot of methodologies that's that's going inside probably you know if it's more ibm centric topic i would take it like as you know different perspective maybe later but for now it depends on the organization you are like the organization you are the team you are you have a different goal you have a different aspect to it there are people who just face the sales team there are teams who face clients before the pre sales there are people or even the team who actually does the proof of concept and for model and the deployment part of it production part of it is being handled by different teams so it's huge there are a lot of initiatives going in parallel but the common goal here i would say based on my experience is to focus not just on the performance but to have the ethical aspect of it as well now let's dive deep into your current work as a technical lead for codet the center mission is to make open source models dramatically easier to create deploy and manage in the enterprise Would you mind providing a brief overview of different initiatives happening at the center? Our team is called Center for Open Source Data and AI Technology. So we are a group of 30 plus developers and data scientists around the world. And the goal or the aim we have is to make AI technology accessible to everyone. Right? So democratize AI is the common goal. And you know the core technologies that we have in AI, they rely heavily on the open source software. Right? So... so we try to improve those frameworks that helps developing ai solution making even the individual component to work better as well as when you are putting it on a pipeline when you are integrating in a pipeline they function better as well so we contribute to the frameworks one of the top is the pytorch tensorflow spark we have committers contributors maintainers of it and we create our own open source projects as well those are the names i said before it's model asset exchange which deals with containerizing your model and making it as a microservice we have our own framework which is open source and we have the data asset exchange where we provide a better data and 80% of the data are from ibm research so it's like we take the research and make it available for the enterprise users there's a myth that research is only for research so we want to make sure it can be used widely in the enterprise area as well so that's one goal and as i mentioned before i have co-created this ai finance 360 package we have like three open source packages in the trusted ai site which we recently donated to linux foundation ai the package's names are ai finance 360 which will help in detect and mitigate bias it can be used throughout the pipeline and we have another a package ai explainability 360 as the name suggests is for making your model more explainable know why you are getting certain predictions right and the third one is the adversarial robustness toolkit which will test the model against the attacks and make sure you know no one can tamper your model and there are like two coming up as well on the center we contribute to a lot of frameworks we create our own open source projects and we take it to the community as well as to the product Yeah, absolutely, and I'll be sure to include the links to the center website as well. The, the GitHub pages for some of these projects it seems like you know there's a lot of tutorials and articles related to how to execute and use it. Right. So a little bit on that idea of open source. Finding enthusiastic and passionate contributors is notoriously challenging for any open source project. Uh, what were some of the tactics that your team at Codet relied on to 
five early committers for these open source projects. So I would like to take this in a different angle, right? Like we, so how it happens, at least as far as my experience is concerned, you want to see the passion for contributing back, right? At least that's what people wanted to see in me when I was hired, when I was having conversation with my hiring team as well. They want to see the passion because open source, it's like you work with people around the world, right? You need to have the patience. You will have like, meetings at different timings you need to have like a good leadership to coordinate with people around the world you're not convincing only your team members here you have to go out you need to answer a lot of people who are testing your code who are evaluating your code it just doesn't happen in a day or like how you usually do it internally right my experience when i started contributing with a lot of other top open source projects it's like First, you need to figure, you need to have the good mindset. So that's what it seemed like. You need to have a good mindset, be collaborative. You, you should be able to work in the collaborative environment, learn a lot from others, have the patience and have the passion to contribute back and know to communicate well, right? Know to communicate what you think well to the community. So these were the qualities that I have been personally, you know, asked for or looked for, right? So that will be high-level answer from my experience, I would say. Thanks for sharing those opinions regarding this topic. Maybe just quick answers. Yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like the future of open source regarding the development of ML technologies. Do you think, comparing to let's say enterprise product, right? How do you see the role that you know open source library play in the acceleration of ML technologies? For sure. So after being an open source team for about three years, I personally feel open source forms the base of a lot of, you know, the amazing products that you see out in the world, all the AI products, because if you're just like 10 people, you are like developing the project, maybe you get less perspective or the perspective will be different. The new ideas that you bring on the table will be different. Imagine, right? You are interacting with software developers around the world, like data scientists around the world, right? You just throw yourself out. So the ideas you get will be huge, right? In every single, I used to be a part of a lot of SIG meetings. I used to be part of a lot of community meetings for top, you know, open source projects. So the ideas that get into the table is just amazing, right? You will have a totally different perspective. Your products will develop. Your products will have a lot of innovation. And that actually fuel all, you know, the machine learning, the technologies or whatever we are talking about, be it anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So open source, I would say, will form, will be a strong base, even now it's a strong base to build any of the product. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, can you recommend uh, like a few underrated open source library that people might have not heard of that you personally, you know, got attracted to? I mean, to be honest, it's not a bias, but I personally like everything related to trusted AI. So I actually enjoyed, you know, contributing to the Fairness Toolkit, Explainability Toolkit, Robustness Toolkit. Let me tell you the reason. Yes, all the packages that you're seeing that will help in your pipeline, other, you know, the regular pipeline, people think the bias and these concepts are not for the beginners, right? So they tend to not see, use a lot of these packages. But I used to tell them, like, when you're a kid, society or your parents used to teach all the good things when you are a kid, right? That's when it sticks in your mind. The same thing applies when you're learning or getting into data science. Start, but don't learn bias at the end of your, you know, after learning all the algorithms, 
after you think you are good in all the pipeline practices and then you come up and come to the end and learn the trusted ai aspect of it right it should just go along with your data science journey so that's the observation that i'm seeing everywhere right wherever i go people think this is the topic that's at the end right it's not the case it goes along so there are a lot of packages there are a lot of open source packages not just the one that you know i have been involving myself but there are a lot of packages so try to learn that aspect of it and put into your methodology learning right when you extract in the data when you are preparing your data doing your pre processing there are packages that's related to the trusted ai so let's not keep at the end learn as we learn the basic methodologies yeah for sure instead of adding it as a layer on top mm-hmm. you want to incorporate it by design throughout the whole exactly. development life cycle and yeah that's so um, transitioned pretty well into you know my next question as we see talking about trusted ai so last november you get this talk called digital discrimination cognitive bias in machine learning the talk dissects some of the examples to bias in ml identify solution to combat unwanted bias and then present some of the tools from IBM which you know you already kind of talked about from previous answers from uh, fairness 360 to you know data access extreme so maybe can you go over some of the key takeaways presented in the talks specifically related to uh, examples of bias and and potential solution to combat them so i have been giving this awareness talk around building responsible ai for more than a year now i feel you know this is part of my personality and who i am and what i believe in so that's the reason i got into it more than just it's evolving as a hottest topic in you know in the field of data science so in that talk i usually quote this before because of my own experience with the community so the views that i'm going to share are my own and it doesn't represent you know the organization or uh, whatever it is the views are my own i'll just give an explanation why i'm quoting this so that you know why i'm saying this because i have been in i have been lot of talks so i tend to you know get this point right okay so that means will your organization give me the promise that if i get into something uh, you know they will help me right so no i was put into a lot of this trials i was put into this lot of you know the questions that as an individual who comes and talks about the responsible ai cannot answer in in terms of the organization right that's something we all need to believe in we all need to you know think about when we ask questions to the you know a representative or someone who share their views right so this is based on my experience and after that i have started giving this even in my talk if you see my you know video out there which is out on youtube i used to quote this right the views are my own i am doing it out of my own passion here so there has been a lot of you know the harassment and stuff that happened whenever i speak about responsible ai i'm okay with it because this i believe in but i want to quote that you know the views are my own so i guess you can also put this in your talk <laughs> so when you are editing this when so people kind of understand why it is important to be compassionate to person who is talking about it right so yeah in the talk first i got lessons know about the cognitive bias it, it's so interesting that you know there are few people who are not exposed to this i'm not talking about the exec or you know the everyday data scientists i even go to schools i even go to meet undergrad students and people who are not from tech completely non technical or even i used to educate my family members too to the extent they should be aware of it right i show the example the impact of bias in real world scenarios right what actually happened because of the bias in system i gave them some examples and some quotes from people who actually got affected by you know by the systems and what are they facing 
because of it and all the hidden the pain i would say <laughs> that people are facing out of it so my listeners get a sense of it my listeners become compassionate about it and they actually take it seriously right and also i talk about the major culture change that's required within the organization it doesn't just depend on the data scientist it has to start from the very person communicating with the clients stakeholders every single person involved in your project conversation it has to be it's a major culture change right and the need for ethical board in organization and finally i used to introduce them to the tools i used to keep my tools at the end because tools are just tools that's going to help you it's your mindset it's your awareness that's going to help you i finally used uh, introduce the open source tools that can be used to detect mitigate you know work with explainability and robustness and so on yeah absolutely and i'll be sure to include the youtube talk in the show notes so you know listeners can take a look and watch that for the information some of the solution you provide in that talk you know education is key fixing the pipeline as well as a national industry standard i think those are very good examples especially the one that you brought up regarding um pinterest use of skin tone search diversity right i think that's a very interesting one example like that showcase how you know high growth companies are already doing it which is uh, definitely a good sign how this process is currently being accelerated as someone with deep knowledge about this trusted ai landscape how do you see the evolution of research and application uh, in this space play out in the near future concerns about privacy and responsible ai will sure be like a major topic in coming years so business will you know will be ready to adopt these changes as i mentioned it's not just using tools it's going to be a major culture change in the organization in the users level they'll be impacted but in the organization level every organization needs to care about they all care about brand value and profit and you know giving like good products to the community right i would say that it's going to be a good culture change and every organization will move towards having ethical board and more diverse and inclusive team and an ethical experts in you know whenever there's a data science related projects know about you know the governance rules the data privacy rule if you are using like person identifiable information based on the country or the place you are you should know the data regulations one of the example is gdpr so data privacy data regulation rules which one to use which not so you will be having like a ethical expert along and you know moving towards it's not going to be built for performance it's going to be more about building evaluating and monitoring the performance so that they are they are ethical they are responsible they don't affect any part of the community and you know their predictions or whatever their system is providing it doesn't affect any particular community uh, in general and i guess there will be more research in the area of fairness value alignment transparency privacy explainability and accountability of your system and robustness of your system right so uh, these are the areas i personally feel is going to evolve and there's going to be like a big culture change in the organization i'm curious it sounds like you when you mention ethical expert in cultural change and generally like the first thing that comes to my mind is there's two things that can happen is either ml people try to learn more about ethical stuff or you know they try to bring in like an ethical person who going to enact change who maybe have a background in say law or philosophy or anthropology for example and come in and and force that education knowledge into the the tech organization how do you see that the sort of different balances play out and realistically speaking like what are some of the more promising approach to tackling those cultural change 
you know sometimes there's more focus given into the tools part or you know the programming part of it it doesn't happen so i, I don't believe in the fact you need to have a person with ethical mindset i believe in the fact we all need to have the ethical mindset we need to have an expert who's going to get the information right who's going to get the information let's say you are creating a project here right and there should there will be some data rules or you are getting data from some other part of the world world so you need to the ethical expert is going to you know get you the law terms the privacy terms or the usage of data but i personally feel the ethical mindset is something that we all need to have that every single person who is involved in the project needs to have and i don't believe in the fact that ethical expert need to tell every time you know yes we need to create something which is more responsible and more ethically good whatever we create it has to be ethical right mm-hmm. there is no compromise to it in my angle it has to be ethical it has to be responsible and there will be ethical expert who is going to guide us through the process right we may not be able to get all the information and it's practically like you know, as a data scientist you have you are going to work with your data code and stuff you may not have the bandwidth in a realistic world right i'm not talking something out realistically speaking we are all human beings we have our own limitations we have our own timing set so we can't be doing everything right that's why having an ethical expert is going to help you they are going to see the process that you are doing they are going to pinpoint the ways that you know you can actually use your data make sure all the checks you will you, you'll be having a checklist that's that's i'm pretty sure like your organization is going to have a checklist that mm-hmm. you need to take care when you are developing and evaluating a model and you are going to follow the checklist and your ethical expert is going to guide you and the ethical mindset is not just with the ethical expert it's has to be with every single person in the universe yeah definitely yeah. i think an analogy that i have is just like a surgeon who try to perform a surgery you know, on a patient they need a checklist to make sure that all this the hand are clean you know the patient condition is decent in order to be fully secure can be something similar like this when the model have to satisfy a certain a list of things before they actually get deployed into the real world right so i uh, kind of talking a little bit about model development and model deployment you and your college recently given a few talks about this project called Elera which is a set of ai centric extension to jupiter lab that aims to help data practitioners deal with the complexities of the model development life cycle can you discuss some of the core value proposition of Elera Elera is like we under Kodai the open source org that I'm part of Elera is like a specific team basically the concept of Elera is a set of ai centric extension to your jupyter lab notebook right that's a high level topic and there are main features like you know it let you edit your ai pipeline it's like a canvas and you can edit your pipeline add your pipeline components put together in a more easy way edit in a more easy way and ability to run your notebook or a python script as a bad job and it gives you reusable code snippet it provides hybrid cloud runtime support and you know there's a version control support as well using git integration and you can navigate your notebook using the auto generated table of contents and basically you know from my experience in working with elera it's like a visual tool for you right you have your notebooks here and you can just add the components you'll be having a canvas you will have this components on the right side you can just drag and drop see how they all like work together and you have a lot of you know options like using kubeflow and when it comes to the hybrid runtime support so you know you can enable notebook to share resources across the distributed cluster such as yeah. apache spark kubernetes openshift and so on 
I feel as a data scientist, it makes my life easy. And mm-hmm. with a good integration, I can be sure, okay, everything is set. Uh, I don't lose my work as well. It's other part of my team, but I use it when I work with my clients. For sure. That topic of making notebook in production is a whole other conversation that we can talk about, about MMOps and stuff like that. But, you know, let that for maybe a future conversation. Some of the remaining questions, we're going to discuss a little bit of some of the other side hustle that you've been doing besides your work. So you have been an instructor on Coursera, creating two courses on um, data visualization with Python and with R. In your enjoy experience, what has been some of the biggest challenges of building uh, online courses? That's a great question. You know, there are tons and tons of courses out there. If you take data visualization, you have a lot of courses, right? That you need to show something unique. At least I believe if I, if someone is enrolling in my course, they should get something good out of it. They should get a practical experience of it. They should have a good hands-on. So this is how it does, right? We create like a video presentation. We design what needs to get into the course. That will take like a weeks, take two to three weeks of time. We sit together as a team of 10, brainstorm and come up with the syllabus. And then we start creating the video script, you know, the presentation. We then have like three to four rounds of reviews. And then it goes to production. That's a slide aspect of it. And if you get into the lab aspect of it, we need to design the lab. Right? At least whenever I'm creating a courses, I'm going to talk for myself here because that's what I know better. So when I create a courses, I want my labs to be fully hands-on i expect you know people to have this code not just run the cells in the notebook right so i used to think a lot give them a lot of hints give them a story i don't want them to just take and do a lab i create like a story behind right yes you are a data analyst now you are getting you are having this problem and how do you solve so i sit down create a story for each of my labs and then get the approval and then, you know, work on creating the labs. Again, it goes through a lot of review rounds and we finally put together into the course. It's going to take months and months of time. I'm not doing this as my full-time work, but still, you know, it's going to consume a lot of time keeping in mind of your learner's experience, right? And that's main challenge is I'm a person who tend to give too much sometime. So I need to be mindful of the level which I'm creating like a notebook sorry, the course, if you are tailoring your code towards a beginner, then there are certain limitations only to which you can go, right? If it's intermediate, yes. If it's advanced, then the expectation is altogether a different level. And each learner will have their own expectation from the course, right? So you need to streamline the expectation. If you're not streamlining their expectation, then they will get disappointment, right? So this is my personal experience, like streamlining audience or learner's perspective know what they will learn and then see the level which to which we are tailoring the course and then do it accordingly right in our daily practice since i'm working every day single day on this data science related work the concept that i understand or the way i say might not be useful for the other learners who are entering into data science right so i need to create a story i need to make it look you know easy for them to go through so those are like I don't say it as challenge, it's a responsibility, but still the amount of time it gets into and the effort it's get to into it is, is a lot. 
think it's also related to the part you mentioned about earlier about public speaking really being audience centric, right? Really focus on understanding the motivation and how you can create a story that tie into the audience psyche. This course is great is focused on data visualization. Any particular reason why you want to focus on a specific topic? Yes. So I believe if you're a data scientist, you have to be a better storyteller. You should be able to tell the story through visuals. That's why when I got an opportunity, I just directly jumped in. You should be able to tell a better story through visuals. As a data. Even though you do like amazing modeling stuff, you are really good in programming algorithms. You can be, but you need to tell a good story. You should be able to tell a good story. And the visualization part plays a major role in it. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason I wanted to start with this first. Curious, are you planning to work on any new courses in the upcoming uh, months? Yeah, so uh, I have my open source course coming out in like mm-hmm. few weeks. So it's tailored towards people who wants to start contributing to open source, know what open source is basically. And it's not, you know, something alien. You need to know the process. You need to know the rules and regulations. So there's a comprehensive open source course that's coming up in a week. We should include that when, when this episode has been released. So you are also very passionate about movements such as women in tech and girls who code. So this question is twofold. What are some of the barriers that prevent more women from entering the technology field? And also, how are some of the initiatives that you advocate for address these issues? Yes, so this is like an important question to address, I feel. If you, if you have listened to my story, every phase of my life, I highlighted something. First is the fear, self-doubt, and social pressure, right? So we have been told to do certain things in a certain way, and breaking that takes a lot of your inner strength, right? So these three things are the common aspect that I see when I interact with girls. To be honest, I have had experience right, being a villager, being in a town, being in a city, coming out of the country. So these experiences gave me a perspective of how an individual will feel when they are in a certain phase of their life. right? So that made me like extremely compassionate and that made me... You know, I feel humble, like I am. So, I have all the gratitude. I was able to really understand what the other person is going through, right? So I used to have a lot of interaction with girls who code, women who code, people, and just with everyone. I don't restrict with, you know, certain community. So this is the top three things. So can I do this? Right? Will I be able to do this? Okay, can I code? Uh, that fear, right? The self-doubt, the same thing that I went through, right? So that's why I said in the beginning, my story if it helps even one single person to come out of the fear and the self-doubt or the social pressure we all have been put into and that's like a success that I feel at the end of my life. I have faced myself a lot of this. I'm not taking any example out of the world and you know getting here or something that I read on book or whatever I spoke is what the experience that I had in my life. So everything is like a true story. (laughs) So it's not something different. It's not something complicated. Just don't typecast yourself there's no limit get out of your comfort zone it's a beautiful world outside so that's what i say to a lot of girls i meet every single day uh, different from different parts of the world trying to tell my story how i got into computer how i got into programming just the sound of the keyboard and that kind of excites them and i have heard back a lot of amazing you know comments from them that they were able to get out of the fear and self-doubt and that makes me happy all the time yeah, that's my experience. Absolutely. I think um, you cannot be what you can see. Just seeing the story definitely allows younger generation to follow that path. I believe you're also leading an initiatives to bring education to rural children. So can you uh, share any details about it? 
so when i was in my school when i started my school i was given a book to read about computers which i feel shouldn't be a case as i grow up so i started a simple initiative where i used to meet school kids i started with school kids who are like doing their first grade second grade as well i used to go to that level because i feel it's important to cultivate the mindset the practical mindset right from the engage so i have interaction with them i teach computers in a more practical way right i tend to map computer concept into what they see in their daily life in a way they can understand imagine a first grade kid getting in and knowing about computers getting some exposure from the world it's not just computer i would say i have a team with myself who specialized in different aspects right i don't want everyone you know there is a person who kind of helps the kid and the school you know the high school or middle school kid identify what they want because i identify what i want at the uh, later like just maybe 5 years before or 6 years before it took a lot of time for me to get the understanding that only if you do what you love you will be able to do better right so mm-hmm. i want that to go to the kids and you know students at a very early age so i have like a good team and we have people specialized in science math computers even the regular you know the psychology aspect of it you know we have the yoga specialists we like to groom kids in a 360 degree as a better citizen be it wherever they are so i have like good team with me and we go meet a lot of kids because of pandemic we couldn't do a lot but still before pandemic i used to take computer classes every week i'll have about like 80 kids in my class and we learn computers in a more fun and practical way that's super cool is there any public materials that people can learn about you can all like check it out or is it all ad hoc there's a public that's what we have been getting into hopefully after pandemic we don't want to disturb right now when people are facing a lot of this pandemic effort so we are just working on you know getting first is to provide the internet facility antiquities in india they don't have computers so we have like a fundraising part separately where you know we provide kids at least like we we get them one laptop per Uh, you know home we go to the home for kids right so mm-hmm. we provide them internet facility and we kind of pay them pay their bills every month so those are the aspects yeah i have been taking care of first is getting them the access to the outside world in a good way because they have guides who can guide them better how how to use it in a more responsible way but yeah we do provide that and then we start interacting with them we have make them you know think about what they want at the early age of their life right? This, I think that's so cool, really, back to your origin story as well. Hopefully those kids have the same experience, just mm-hmm. like you, the first time you got your laptop. So that's truly at this part of the conversation. I want to move to the final closing segment, in which I'm going to ask you uh, three rapid-fire questions, and you can give the answers for the listeners. Number one, name three people in the trusted and ethical AI space whose work you admire. I'm just going to take a pause here. I know since it's not a live session, I just want to let you know. So this is something I believe in. I hope it's okay with you if I share this. You know there are amazing people out there who does a lot of work in ethical and responsible AI right it's not an easy topic to come and talk about because you are out in public touching the main points talking about their the bias and fairness it's a most sensitive topic you can ever talk about right you are touching their ethics you are touching their inner <laughs> sense you are touching their lives you know the most crucial aspects So it's not a easy thing to talk about and I respect every single person who come out and talk about it 
there may be like a list of top people who are out in community doing a lot of things but there are hundreds and thousands of people who are behind the screen doing a lot of stuff and i respect like every single person who is getting out there trying to educate people about responsibility even if it's like giving an exposure to what is bias right so uh, i feel if i say top 3 or top 4 names it's more concentrated towards that and personally i don't see the names i see the value or the thought process that people are getting in so i see what they say right more than the image or the picture or the name or the background or something i feel that mindset is really important when you want to build a responsible ai system you don't see anything but the message that's out I think that's an excellent response to my rapid fire. Not quite rapid fire, but that's definitely a valid one. And the second question is, uh, name one book that I could recommend for people to develop a better ethical mindset. Again, like, I'm going to give a different answer for this as well. So I thought about it. Personally, I feel more than a book, it should start from the early age when you are like even one year kid, right? I mean, kids who are getting into school, it should start from there. even their syllabus even their books should have something about uh, the ethics or the mindset that they need to cultivate right being more compassionate being more compassionate about the people whom they meet the society whom they interact with or the communities whom they interact with right so this is the mindset that needs to be cultivated from the early age from the moment you step into your the world that you can understand right so again like there are a lot of books out there i personally got the experience by interacting with people by interacting with people who are affected by this right whenever i see a post on either a twitter or whenever i read a news i used to go and talk to them right i used to go and listen about them right that's how i developed this mindset okay though data science machine deep learning is looking as flashy as it can be there is a deeper you know problem going on so i personally don't restrict with one book maybe the way i have grown up i wasn't given like one particular space okay this is what it is i was given a space to just go out and be whatever i am so i personally feel the mindset that you develop should from uh, early age every single book should have concept about it, the things that people actually go through because of the behavior or the things that you create which is not responsible or ethical and start interacting with people start interacting with people in the space who are posting that they are they got affected by somehow so you develop the mindset right mm-hmm. more than studying book if you have a human to human conversation you will develop a be- better ethical mindset yeah absolutely thanks for sharing that thoughtful answer then lastly imagine Like you send out a single tweet to all the early stage data scientists on Twitter. What could you tweet about? Absolutely. So this is something over the past one year, every time I go and speak out, I get this message like, okay, let me learn about these tools and technology at the end. After I do my basics of data science and machine learning deep learning, right? So to all the data scientists out there, trusted AI, responsible AI, ethical AI concepts, forms the basics of your data science methodology if you are doing extraction pre processing whichever space of the pipeline you are in there is always a concept of ethical ai like responsible ai trusted ai that goes along even though the books don't really have those boxes explicitly mentioned 
it's our responsibility to think about this and it's not something that you have to learn at the end of your you know when you are so confident about your algorithms and methodology you then get into those concepts though it looks like a difficult term to understand the algorithm names might look different but it's important to learn as you go through the process fabulous i think that's a great way to conclude our conversation So uh Sashruti I really enjoy learning about personal background how you your story overcoming different challenges and how do you come into position where you are today ranging from studying uh, engineering college to working as a system engineer to going to study in the states to get into data science to open source technology to ethical AI and even some initiatives regarding um, women in tech and bringing education to rural children and we should include everything in the show notes so listeners have a chance to watch some of Sashruti talk and checking out some of the open source library that she's been contributing to I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope to hear some of your thought leadership regarding this topic uh, and hopefully we can have better frameworks for ethical data science as we are entering this new phase of the decade so yeah Sashruti I appreciate you spending time with me this morning and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day thanks for having me here and thanks to all the listeners for uh, hearing my story thank you so much well that's the wrap for another episode of datacast hopefully you have learned something insightful and interesting from my guest today you can read the show notes from the podcast website at datacast.simplecast.fm if you want to get instant updates when a new episode is released either follow me on twitter or subscribe to my newsletter on my website jameskelly.com it is my greatest pleasure that you listen to this podcast and take advantage of the data revolution coming upon us goodbye for now